Well, it looks like the room is just about full. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Scott Paddock, and I'm what's called a security solutions architect at AWS. And I'm happy to be joined today by a fellow sitting behind me whose name is Matt Ferrari, and he is the chief technology officer for ClearData. And we are going to talk to you today about embracing DevSecOps, while, and I guess we'll define that, uh, while improving your compliance and security agility posture. So how will we do it? Well, I'm going to speak to you about the tools of the trade, the kind of the building blocks that are necessary to do the sort of work that we're describing, and, you know, start down the path of giving suggestions about how you might implement and leverage these tools. And then I will hand off to Matt, who will tell you about how they do it at ClearData, very specific real-world examples. And as a matter of logistics, I'm told that uh, we don't have time or some other probably doors, <laughs> chairs, something simple, to be able to field questions. But I get the sense that you probably won't have a hard time finding me, you know, in the crowd. Uh, certainly, if you have questions and we are not able to get to them here today, I invite you to stop me. I, I am going to be here all week. I'm happy to talk shop. So uh, please don't regard it as a closed door. All right. I'm going to dive right in with this. And this is a funny thing because I took this from Wikipedia, or a colleague of mine did, a while ago. And I thought, I better check on that and see you know, if this, if this reference still holds water. It's wildly different. <laughs> this is a point-in-time reference, and, and I don't know that it makes a whole lot of difference, frankly. What I'm describing here is, you know, maybe fairly compared to, like, the OSI model, where it's not so much a rigid, protracted series of it's this, then this, then this. It's more of a taxonomy or a characterization of the things we're trying to accomplish. And if I had a bone to pick with this, which I don't know that I have much of one, I might say that pre-prod isn't the best name for what is effectively a building and staging process, but that's semantics. I'm going to come back to this slide because I'm going to tie this in again with how security and compliance fit into each and every one of these. So you'll see where I'm going in a moment, but I wanted to give you a heads up. If you look at Wikipedia today, the list looks different. The roles and the functions are the same. I'm going to let that slide for the purposes of evolution. Well, it may be worth calling out the difference between DevOps and DevSecOps and everything else in the world. Um, maybe some of you have seen a transition from something like a waterfall development model to something like Agile. And generally, that's a pretty well-regarded thing. The, the idea that you have groups of people, these people write the code, and these people QA the code, and these people prepare the code for deployment, and further other people document the code, and then there are the folks who are responsible for the ongoing maintenance, each of them having their own little, their own little turf. That model is a little bit problematic. So this really, what we're talking about with DevOps, not DevSecOps yet, but just DevOps, is a difference of approach. What if we had um, each of these people on all of these various roles understanding that they were part of a team that was aligned to the outcome of the product, whatever the thing is, such that the people who write the code don't have the mindset that I've written it and now I've handed it off and now it's someone else's problem, where they maintain ownership of the, of the overall. That's kind of the big thing. I see it drawn sometimes in the way of a Venn diagram where you've got operations and development and administration or some other functionality. And they're saying in the very core of this is DevOps. 
And that's what the first term here means. Now, you will sometimes, and I'm guilty of this as anyone, hear the terms DevSecOps and DevOps used interchangeably. Probably not the best tactic, but the idea that we're going to put security controls into this from the very beginning is really the big driving difference between DevOps and DevSecOps. If you catch me saying DevOps, probably I meant DevSecOps. I don't know that I would advocate for not having security as a part of this, but I just wanted to give you a heads up that this is also sort of a, a big debate that I'm not trying to take a side in. The, lots of people will have differing opinions on what specifically is the delineation. I don't know that I care. As long as you understand what I'm trying to drive at, and these principles, incidentally, are what's core to the DevOps or the DevSecOps model. The big no manual hacking, well, that's, that's a great starting point. Uh, certainly, codify and test everything. Automate everything is such a good and powerful um, principle that it makes not just a reduction of labor, but it really drives kind of the, when you, when you talk about compliance generally, you can do a point in time assessment of your compliance all you like, and then there's a drift that occurs from that point. What is it today? Well, I don't know. I did a check three weeks ago, but today, anybody's bet. When you are able to automate everything and when your infrastructure is code, you can do that as often as you like, and you can take that drift window really far down. It's kind of a big deal. So these are, are ones that are hopefully kind of approachable. These principles, I mean, <clears throat> are approachable. Measure and monitor everything. How do you know how they're going, how things are going, if you're not measuring and monitoring? Well, you know, kind of obvious. This slide is from a presentation last year, I believe it was. It was into it. So one of the things that I hear broadly is what drives DevSecOps or DevOps either way? What, what is the reason that an organization might want to look into this? And in the case of Intuit, these were their answers. They, they also made some, I thought it was kind of a snarky fun, but fun comment about it's not uh, compliance gone wild. It is very structured and very ordered. The, the kind of things that they were talking about as being prohibitives, barriers, impositions, I forget exactly how they described it, that things were in the way. These were the top, what, four, let's say, of that talk. And I bring this up to say to you, you're not alone, for starters. You probably have some of this already. And if that's the case, you might find that the tools that we're going to talk about greatly lighten that burden. Okay. Now, this one properly says DevSecOps, so that's good. But these are further, when you, I mentioned them just a second ago, when your infrastructure is code, that opens a lot of doors. Uh, Customer-focused mindset, sure, scalability. Oh, scalability is maybe the most significant part of this because it's one thing if you're trying to do a couple of servers. If you're trying to do a couple of thousand servers, you need to make sure it is absolutely solid, and this is one way to get there. Using DevSecOps as a development model will almost assuredly give you better quality, probably faster. Eh, see if I can commit to that one. The, the idea that um, the criteria that you're going to use to be evaluating how things are going needs to be objective. In other words, uh, go for the, what's what I'm looking for? The, um, oh, I can't come up with it. I'm not going to worst the, the The spirit of this is that it needs to be something that everyone can agree on and that it is not qualitative. It's, that's the word quantitative I was looking for. Something tangible. It needs to be greater than X or lower than X or something like that. If you don't have somebody who's doing proactive hunting, 
permit me to encourage you to reconsider. It really is a big deal. I mean, the Internet, we, we all you know, tend to make our stock and trade on the Internet, but it's not the playground that we maybe think it is sometimes. There's bad stuff. And you can find bad stuff if you're looking for it. And you can prevent it becoming horrible or even a thing. I mean, you could potentially head it off at the pass if someone's looking for it. If nobody's looking for it, you're probably not going to find it. And then you know, continuous uh, detection and response, we can automate some of this. So don't have that moment where, oh, my God, he's telling me I have to hire somebody who's going to sit there and look for trouble all day. It would be nice, but it's not necessarily the message I'm trying to get. I'm trying to say somebody needs to be looking at what's going on because if you gather your logs and no one reads them, what's the difference? I told you I was going to come back to this, and I've color-coded some things. And the idea here is to point out that at each step, each little increment along the way, there's a security and a compliance factor. Uh, one of the ones that struck me as interesting was on the topic of pre-production here, or you know, whatever you might want to call it. We have customers who uh, they build security and compliance engines that have been so well regarded by their own organization's InfoSec teams that those InfoSec teams say, if your process doesn't have any anomalies or doesn't step out of these boundaries, we're not going to insist on our full rigorous whatever their, their most onerous test is. We're going to give you the benefit of the doubt because we're going to have visibility and traceability and data to support the proper function of whatever the, the controls that they have aligned are. That's kind of a big deal. That's a big time saver if you can get to that point. I, I saw that in the customer brief, and I thought that was really pretty cool. So I suppose a lot of you in the room have an occasion to deal with healthcare data. Uh, this can be referred to as EPHI or PHI, uh, protected health information. It's a HIPAA term. The, the services that you see here are ones where, in, well, I'll take a half step back. If it applies to you, and, and what I mean by that is if you're dealing with PHI in the cloud and you have systems that process or store or transmit the PHI, they need to be one of these. And there are maybe more to come this week. I was very careful to try to say as of this moment um, to give you a sense. We, sometimes we talk about the rapid pace of change at AWS. Uh, I had to edit this this morning because two, <laughs> two of our database engines got added last night or this morning really super early, one of the two. Word got to me this morning. Uh, for those who pay attention to this sort of stuff, it is um, Postgres SQL and Aurora are now eligible for healthcare use uh, in addition to uh, MySQL and Oracle. And these services are the ones that have gone through our most rigorous vetting process. These have gone through our most stringent review, and we are comfortable saying to you, as our customers, we're good here. These, these are monitored. They're, the, the controls are in place. Auditors have agreed with this. You know, we've got something like 30 different audit programs that we maintain. It's a big deal that we have this list and that it's growing, and there may even be more to come in short order. I don't know what the rest of the week will have in store. Okay, well, that's good. I mean, it's a start, right? I can... I can build a workflow with these tools. These are certainly the more popular services. But I don't see KMS, and I don't see even VPC for that matter. So how am, I, how am I meant to do this if I don't have these other services? And the answer is actually pretty simple. Um, 
Other services will either be not applicable, meaning that there's just no occasion for them to store, process, or transmit PHI by virtue of what they do. They don't KMS. I mentioned a moment ago, KMS vends keys to services. It doesn't read PHI or data generally, for that matter. If you use it to encrypt a volume, it's not reading the volume as it encrypts it. It's simply dispensing a key. That's a classic example of a service that would not interact with it, wouldn't store, transmit, or process any PHI. Therefore, no big deal, not applicable. And there are a lot of these. I would suggest that there's one that's maybe more dangerous than the others, and it's right there in the center on the right. It's CloudWatch. Day over day, CloudWatch could be perfectly fine. You may be using it to gather uh, memory, CPU utilization, disk I.O., network I.O., that kind of jazz. And you may even be using, there's an agent uh, available for CloudWatch that would be within your operating system that would gather like internal system logs so that it's got a more expanded view. Great. Now let's further suppose that you have an application dealing with PHI using CloudWatch and you've written an error handler into it such that if anything ever really goes sideways, it'll make a system event log that'll say, Scott was looking up this thing, it was this patient, it was about you know, this clinic, it was in this whatever. All kinds of PHI could end up as like an edge or a fringe case. You know, not the normal operation and yet still very problematic because then all of a sudden you've got PHI where you don't want it. So with that as in mind, there are a couple of ways, too, that you can use these services to promote and facilitate a workflow that has PHI in it and still use the stuff that's on the right or anything else by way of decoupling the data if it's necessary. If it's, if it's the first occasion where it's not applicable, forget it. No big deal. But let's say it is. And I have an example that comes up, and I'll show you that in a minute. There's, there are two terms that you will hear on how to work around this indirection or decoupling of the data. And I'm going to tell you more about that coming up, but the spirit of this is important. This is um, something that will undoubtedly be a part of any eventual audits that you face on your PHI environment. Auditors will ask about this. It's a known thing. And so if you have questions about it, please reach out. Please let us know. It's better to ask, even if it feels silly, we'll give you the clearest answer we can, put you in the best foot forward for, for going forward and being prodigious with healthcare data. So I'm going to now talk about, at least at a beginning level, what we see customers doing with our tools in a way to promote and encourage this kind of compliance and security. Uh, your mileage may vary. Batteries not included. Void were prohibited. All that good jazz. Uh, it is a generally good idea to say, you know, if you're going to do this stuff that, that might have a an impact or an effect on your compliance or security posture, ask first. You know, I know that it's fun to say, especially when you're a kid, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. I don't think this is one of those occasions. General strategies. Okay, so I've told you about decoupling, at least the word decoupling, and I'm going to give a visualization of that in a moment, so I'll, I'll defer that one. Uh, you should know for sure where your data lives. I mean, just simply put, where is my healthcare data specifically? If, if you've ever had occasion to be um, involved in like a PCI audit, uh, the, the credit card industry, PCI DSS standard, 
one of the practices that comes from there that's probably very helpful here is to say, when I'm talking about my sensitive data, whether that's credit card data, whether that's healthcare data, whatever, reduce the scope. Put it in the smallest possible boundary so that it makes auditing easier, it makes troubleshooting easier, and in the event of a bad day where someone has gotten unauthorized access, you've got a sense of what the scope of harm could be that's clearly defined. Indirection, I'm going to defer again with the same reason for decoupling. Uh, and the tools that you see there on the top, these are, I'm not sure quite that they make a whole lot of difference in the context of this slide, but these are tools that you can use to develop and deploy your application that also should be fair game for use with healthcare data because who's developing code and pre-populating patient data? I mean, I haven't seen that use case. If you've got it, let me know. I, I have not seen an occasion where healthcare data for an individual is going to be part of code. If it is, ooh, big warning flags. Let's, let's talk about that one. Okay, so there are, as is often the case with AWS, a lot of different ways to accomplish a specific task, and this is certainly one of them. What I'm drawing here is a, a two VPC solution where I have one VPC that handles all of my PHI. And I might even go further to insist that the EC2 servers that are in this environment are tagged as such so that I know and I can easily know right at a glance, hey, that server's for healthcare. I need to be aware of that. As opposed to EC2 servers in the general VPC. You can use the boundary controls and protections of a VPC to isolate and further reduce the scope of your PHI. And it would be the same story for PCI or any of those others. Now, could you also use accounts? Mm -hmm. You absolutely can. Could you find some other measure that involves third-party tools? Absolutely. This is not a one-size-fits-all. This is simply an example. All right. Indirection. So let's say for the sake of this illustration, we have a very simple need, which is when an object enters an S3 bucket. Uh, this is in the context of a payment processor, let's say, for, for some kind of healthcare thing. When something comes into the S3 bucket, I need that EC2 server to process it somehow. How might I do that? Well, uh, I might want to use the simple queue service, SQS, but you may remember that wasn't one of the ones that was in the, uh, the BAA eligible services or the HIPAA eligible services little square on the left. But what if I use it in such a way that it doesn't see any PHI? Okay. I'm going to use SQS to say when I see something in that S3 bucket, I'm going to kick off a process which tells the EC2 server, hey, there's a thing to do. Let's go do a thing. And the EC2 server can pull or push or whichever way it needs to go from the S3 bucket to get the data and process it in such a way that SQS didn't see what the data was. That's a big deal. That's really key here. And I might do the same thing for SNS. I might want to get a, you know, a text message to say, hey, the thing came in and it got processed and now it's done or it came in and got processed and broke or whatever the, the scenario is, fine. What we're trying to describe here is a mechanism by which you can achieve what you need. The, the bucket receives a file, the file is processed. That's the need. How do we do it in such a way that makes a reasonable workflow using other services and still not break this cardinal rule about putting PHI where it doesn't need to go? This is the answer. Now, there is a, a much more detailed example of this uh, in a blog post. A colleague of ours, a fellow named Chris Crosby, wrote a four-part blog 
and I recommend it highly. It is the same spirit of what I'm describing, although kind of writ large. And, and the link that you see here is to the, um, the first of the four parts. So start there, see what you think, and carry it through. The, the fourth installment has <laughs> a very vivid uh, step one, and there's an arrow and two, and it's got like 30 steps or some crazy amount of detail to really show the degree to which you can push these boundaries. Uh, this is the, the slide that you see here. If you don't have a camera and you're worried about remembering that so-called shortened URL, not a big deal. We're going to make these slides available on SlideShare or some kind of source like that. I, I have no doubt it may take a day or two, but you can get to this data, and, and certainly you can search for HIPAA compliance blog on the AWS or, uh, on the AWS blog and get straight to it. So there's a lot to tell, and we don't have like all day to do it. So I'm going to defer to this, and, and certainly if you find yourself with questions about it, please reach out to us. This is a big deal. We want to make sure that you understand that we're not just trying to confuse or muddy the waters. We really want you to be successful, and we want the reasons for your success to be clear. Okay, at this point, I've said kind of what I need to say about the preamble, the stuff that high level we're going to talk about. I'm going to now pass the torch here to my colleague, Matt, who's going to tell you about how they do things at his, here you are, at his, uh, clear data, excuse me. Thanks very much. Can everybody hear me okay? Okay, so I am normally a pacer, but today I'm going to try to stand here so I can be on the camera and, and be focused. Uh, so my name is Matt Ferrari. I'm privileged enough to be the chief technology officer for a company called Clear Data. Clear Data is a healthcare organization that does exclusive healthcare managed services, specifically for payers, pharma, providers, um, on top of AWS. So we're going to talk a little bit and take what the lessons that we just learned and try to show examples of what we actually have, have done at Clear Data so that maybe you, got, you guys can apply them to yourselves. So a couple tools up here that we're going to talk through today. Um, would love to actually spend more than an hour talking about them all, but we simply don't have all the time. So. Uh, wanted to talk about a couple of tools, lots of them out in the market today. Uh, key, key advantage uh, in the DevOps market to be able to use kind of some of the diverse tools that are up here. Clear Data ourselves actually uses a combination of things like SaltStack, which we'll talk about today, and CloudFormation as well. Um, but really, realistically, all of these tools can do the job. There's lots of config management features. There's the ability to do remote execution that we're going to talk about today. So let's just talk about a couple. Um, Chef, how many in here use Chef today? Lots of people. By the way, thanks for your participation this morning. I'm always happy to talk on the first day and not the last one. Everybody has their shirt still. Everybody is in a good mood. Nobody has lost any money at the roulette table, hopefully. Um, so uh, happy to be here. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Chef. Uh, Chef you know, has both open source options as well as a product called Chef Automate, as many of you guys who have raised your hands know. Uh, it gives the opportunity for full stack or full capability for continuous deployment. So there's a continuous deployment pipeline, automated testing for compliance and security, and then finally visibility into things that are happening along the way that I'm going to show you examples of. Um, it builds off of a couple different tools, uh, one called uh, uh, Chef for Infrastructure Automation, uh, in InSpec for Compliance Automation. We're going to talk a lot about compliance today, and then Habitat for application automation. Um, but for those of you who raised your hands, if you have developers that use Chef, you probably also want to check out OpsWorks. How many of you guys have looked at OpsWorks or use it? 
little bit less, some half hands. Okay, very good. Um, so OpsWorks, configuration management tool or service that allows you to help configure your apps you know, in use of the public cloud. Um, you can define the actual application architecture. You can do things like specify package installation, which I'm going to try to show you an example of today, and then do software configuration and resource pooling. Um, so think about it from a healthcare perspective. You start out with healthcare hardened templates for technologies like app servers, database servers, a lot of SQL in healthcare. Um, and then you can use config management to essentially add on packages or determine level of patching, those kind of things. And folks like ClearData are use, utilizing the tools up here to get a lot of that done. OpsWorks uh, specifically also includes automation so that you can scale your application based off of time or based off of workload of your, your clinical app so that you can actually scale it over time. And then uh, I mentioned that ClearData is actually a consumer of SaltStack. Salt is a Python-based uh, open source config management tool. It has a remote execution engine. So what we're going to talk through today is how somebody like ClearData can do remote execution of things to make sure that the environment remains compliant at all times. Um, so imagine being able to investigate, is my healthcare app already deployed in my running instance or my running environment? And then determine if it is, what actual packages are installed there and do remote installation of packages, updates, new pieces of software along the way. So what are we seeing? Um, wanted to kind of talk through security and automation components here. When we think about security and compliance in healthcare, we normally think of enterprise SIMs. A good example of an enterprise SIM would be uh, HP ArcSight, as an example. If you guys work in healthcare life sciences, you probably have one today. Um, we think about hundreds of policies that li live inside of a document repo, and they're printed out on the security officer's desk. I have a security officer. I'm sure it's printed out on his desk somewhere. Um, but let's just, you know, let's just be honest and admit it. Uh, healthcare, life sciences, they're really struggling from an agility perspective to apply the DevOps model. So we're going to talk through how did, how did somebody like ClearData actually do it. One of the neat adoptions in healthcare life sciences recently has been in, in, an increase in utilization of the tooling that we just talked about. Um, it drives the behavior away from the archaic data centers. Lots of healthcare providers and pharmaceutical and payer companies specifically still running their own data centers and kind of moving away from that CapEx model and into a infrastructure as code model. Um, and we can do all that us utilizing some of the tools that were previously mentioned, as well as some of the capabilities with the AWS that I'm gonna walk you guys through. Um, so what we're now seeing is that healthcare and life sciences organizations are actually utilizing tools like AWS CloudTrail. Um, though, as it was mentioned earlier, since not, they are not all HIPAA eligible today, just a, it doesn't mean that they can't be used. And, and I'll show you an example of that. The key, as was mentioned earlier, is it cannot store, transmit, or process PHI. So in the, cl the CloudTrail example, you have a web service that records AWS API calls, and for, for your account and delivers the log files back to you. So with CloudTrail, what you can do is you get a history of all the AWS API calls back to your account. You can see them via the AWS Management Console, which many healthcare organizations are actually still using today. Or if you would prefer to use it via API call and filter it into your own SIM. Um, it allows us to actually show all of that, and I'll show you an example of the visualization here. The the 
concept that I wanted to introduce most of you to is the concept around the OODA loop. The OODA loop stands for how to observe, orient, decide, and take action. It was actually developed by a U.S. Air Force colonel named John Boyd. Uh, he applied this to combat operations years and years ago. But believe it or not, even though it was used in military ops, it's also used internally, not only at Clear Data, but within other healthcare DevOps organizations. I'll kind of walk you through how AWS layers in here. Not just limited to the military, really focuses on business logic. So uh, the concept here is that a decision maker gathers information or does the observation, focuses on how to form a hypothesis about customer activity and the intentions, the intentions that that decision could actually have. So it orients it. It makes a concrete decision and then takes action. And it's continuously repeated throughout healthcare IT. The concept is that we applying this, this process actually gives a business advantage over a competitor who is reacting to the conditions. Uh, a condition that we may be actually reacting to in healthcare, uh, our EMR, our, our electronic medical record, for those of you who might be familiar with an Epic or a Cerner, is running slow. Or an instance is out of space. What do I actually, what should I actually do? Especially in business, the, uh, in, in terms of which people are working with the ear loop, in healthcare we struggle with D, making decisions. Lots of change management meetings, committees, I'm, I'm in lots of them. Uh, so how do we actually override that? How do we actually push it? Well, we can push it through two things. We can push it through data, and we can push it through automation. So now that you kind of understand the concept about, a little bit about the OODA loop, why are we even talking about it? This is a really old concept. Really, in life sciences, we're, what we're seeing is that it's being adopted over and over again. It's just not being called that. So to drive agility and not get caught up in weak or longer change management cycles, um, and, and yes, I'm ITIL certified and do change management twice a week. Uh, we really wanted to focus on applying this model up here to infrastructure as code. So as an example, observe changes inside of your compliant environment using AWS CloudWatch. Set thresholds for what uh, is acceptable levels of resource utilization and orient yourself, if you think about orient up on the screen, on how the environment should actually be behaving. It's time for more resources inside of the environment. So make an automated decision from a, a template. Pull it from CloudFormation. Pull that template from CloudFormation, which is already storing your hardened templates, and automatically provision those resources. So having so tools such as SaltStack orient that hardened environment is not only up and running, but needs automation run against it so that it can do complete configuration management after the fact around your clinical ap application. So follow that loop over and over again. Believe it or not, uh, we actually have payers and providers that are actually following this today. Um, and what they don't quite realize is that even though they're just building a chef recipe, it's actually following this loop through data. It's orienting itself after observation. It's making a decision, and it's taking action inside of their AWS account. If we think about um, account configuration, just because the, you know, there's only a limited set of AWS services that are HIPAA eligible today and expanding over time, as you guys heard about Snowball uh, fairly recently and two more uh, just today, um, it doesn't prevent utilizing these tools as long as, again, it's not storing, transmitting, or processing PHI. So I wanted to show you an example of how we actually potentially build out 
AWS services or an AWS services account to drive information into your CMDB, which is your configuration and management database, or what is actually storing all of your information on the back end, um, so that when you're audited, you're ready. Uh, I'm lucky enough to be the CTO of a, of a healthcare services organization, so constantly have auditors on site uh, almost, almost every week, so I have to be really good at this. Um, so it's important up here to break out the customer account which is often known as the healthcare department of a provider or a life sciences company that you're working for against, one, against the entire AWS account or the management account, which is probably managing the entire environment across the provider. So kind of let's start on the left up here. We already know that AWS CloudTrail is that web service that records AWS API calls for your account and delivers log files to you. When combined with CloudWatch or that monitoring service that's tracking things like metrics, resources, log files, you got a lot of data. And we haven't even talked about AWS Config yet, so we should. Uh, think of Config as a service that provides you with a AWS resources inventory. So you can see a resource, uh, an inventory of all the resources inside of the environment. Configuration history, and then also provides the ability for you to actually see changes inside of that configuration, which I will talk to you a little bit in a little bit about how that can help you remain compliant. We've got many, many customers uh, in healthcare that are utilizing this specific data for compliance auditing, security analysis, or even resource tracking. Picture a large hospital or large provider doing things, simple things like chargeback if they have multiple departments inside of that healthcare organization that they actually need to do things like budget and understand how to break down that AWS bill, which can be pretty complex for a healthcare customer. So we combine these three services, obviously you have a lot of power. Think, thinking back to the OODA loop, there's your observe, right? You, you have the ability to observe what's going on inside the environment, but you have to really drive that into an important decision. So a good way to actually do that is using AWS SNS. Who uses SNS here in the room today? Lots of people, oh, great. So obviously it allows you to push messages, push services, push warnings um, to people, to systems. Uh, at, at Clear Data, we actually push, we actually use SNS to push messages into things like Slack to communicate in different ways to different people based off of the type of alert. On the management side, the account uses uh, non-PHI services as it's not touching the PHI specifically. Uh, in this example, using API Gateway to evaluate what those SNS alerts are, provide people or other services with API access to make the automated decisions and get to that D in the OODA loop, and then actually act and make the change. On the, uh, if you have an environment from a CloudWatch perspective uh, that, notif that, that notifies a distribution group in your healthcare organization, you probably want to make an executed decision. It can be taken via the API. A great way to execute that is actually utilizing Lambda. Lambda lets you run code without provisioning any servers. Our, our team internally is using it constantly now for all of our backend services. And you're only charged for the actual usage of the execution of the code. Not HIPAA eligible today. All of this is then streamed into a platform such as an S3 or Redshift utilizing Kinesis so that it, it allows you to do things like utilize your BI tools, your business intelligence tools, to make more repeatable decisions so that you can make your OODA loop tight um, as you make changes inside of the environment. So that really leads us to Kinesis. 
Utilizing Kinesis streams, we can actually stream EC2 events, which might be coming from a third-party CMDB, as an example. Uh, many folks uh, in healthcare are using things like ServiceNow. They're, they're doing things like infrastructure monitoring, something like a Sensu, utilizing a backup tool, something like maybe a Commvault or vulnerability scanning tool, maybe something like a, a Nessus. But really, really pulling all of this information and streaming it directly into the CMDB. In this example, uh, ClearData actually uses Dynamo. We're trying to eat our own dog food, and so we use, we use DynamoDB to store all that. We're also able to drive alerts using SNS from things like CloudWatch and CloudTrail so that we can see trends over time and make strategic and important decisions on how to actually respond to alerts going on inside of the infrastructure. Safe to say that uh, different DevOps teams like different messaging, different tooling, but at, at ClearData we're using things like Slack and email and distribution groups depending on the type of alert, type of severity, way we want it escalated. But at ClearData, we focus on driving events into tools such as PagerDuty, which in, with, with intelligence around the type of event, um, or the, you know, really focusing on making sure that the D is getting solved. It's driving data into that decision phase so that we can execute on a plan. Finally, this data is streamed into Redshift, use it, using Kinesis to have long-term storage for the of the logging for things like auditing and governance, not only for our customers, but for the back end so that we can remain in compliance at all times. The ability to have a long-term archive here is paramount, um, not only from a HIPAA perspective, but accessing and providing the hooks so that a customer can, can sync all of their data into their own SIM so that when a third party comes on site to their environment to audit their DevOps processes, that data is readily accessible. So we just talked a lot about how we would actually build out a DevOps model for healthcare utilizing third-party tools. We should probably talk about what's available within AWS as well. As the, uh, you know, I have the privilege of meeting with healthcare CIOs a couple of weeks at this point. Uh, it's fair to say that a lot of healthcare CIOs have concerns about account misconfiguration over time. The, it's safe to say that healthcare organizations can follow some of the best practices that we've talked about today about hardening AMIs and per utilizing Chef to actually provision and CloudFormation to store them. But what happens when the environment changes? What happens when uh, a network engineer makes the, wrong, right, makes the wrong move, doesn't follow change management, opens up a wrong port, those kind of things? Um, and that's something that scares healthcare CIOs today specifically when utilizing a DevOps model. So example up here, Trusted Advisor. Trusted Advisor is a service that you know, does core checks around common AWS misconfigurations. Uh, examples, wanted to talk about three. Uh, Multi-factor authentication on your root account. Sounds basic, but happens all the time. You see it constantly. Un unrestricted ports that would not fall into best practices. Your, your network guy is making changes inside of the environment and opens up the wrong port. Or an identity and access management user checking would be three kind of core security examples that I would give you. The, um, however, the trusted advisor, it doesn't just take a look at security considerations. It takes a look at, takes a look at other important things to healthcare as well. It takes a look at things like fault tolerance, 
can your app actually handle some kind of you know single tenancy or single environment, and even looks at cost optimization over time. Fair to say, one of the challenges within healthcare life science is cost predictability, which has been a challenge for many to overcome, and Trusted Advisor can help with that as well. On previous slides, I've mentioned CloudWatch uh, a few times. For those of you who used to run data centers, CloudWatch has tenants that you know I, I used to run when I was in charge of data centers as well. Tenants of being part SOC, Security Operations Center, and part NOC, Network Operations Center. Uh, it monitors the performance of your resources, and when it's paired with other tools such as SNS, it can drive automated or manual remediation. CloudWatch also processes non-PHI log files to drive efficiency into your SOC. And then finally, I wanted to take a second to talk a little bit about AWS config rules. Um, you know, I, I was thinking actually on the plane, you know, how often in my life as an IT professional have we had an undocumented change to an environment or a configuration? Um, just absolutely incredible. Um, change management wasn't followed. Uh, process wasn't documented, and we find out, you know, at the time when the next compromise vulnerability comes out. So with AWS config rules, the neat part is that we can configure a existing um, or even deleted AWS resource, determine the overall compliance against that, against those rules that we have entered into the system. So if you're a healthcare CIO, you probably get a lot of uh, a lot of confidence being able to say, hey, I wanted to define some rules and I want to know when they've been broken and really dive into the configuration details of a resource at any given time. Since this is Lambda-based, uh, we're able to reduce cost. As remember, Lambda is serverless, so it provides that cost optimization component um, of only paying for running code at the actual time as long as, again, we're not utilizing it for PHI specifically. The, another service that we wanted to talk about that was announced within the last year and is still emerging is AWS Inspector, uh, an automated security assessment service that provides the security and compliance of applications deployed across AWS. Not custom-built for healthcare, but uh, we're starting to see it very prevalent in some of our ISV SaaS healthcare companies and even a couple of providers. When uh, a security officer comes to you about concerns that he may or may not have about cloud security is a great way to overcome it. And let's, let's give some examples. Um, what Inspector does is it automatically accesses vulnerabilities or deviations from best practices, things like CIS, from hundreds of rules, from kind of those common security frameworks, including a lot that involve healthcare. Um, it provides a report or a detailed list of security findings and can even help you prioritize them so that your DevOps team can actually address them. This kind of drives that SEC part in, in DevOps and makes make sure that they own security of their code. So the goal here is really to empower the DevOps team to, to make security an integral part of their continuous deployment. So now, now think about this. You're using Inspector uh, to make sure that your deployment process is driving security and tools like AWS Config Rules and CloudWatch to make sure that you're on the secure path along the way to maintaining your app. So now that we've talked a lot about examples of OODA and how we can do that from an AWS services side in the account, we should probably take a look at the underlying instance as well. After all, it's same to say that, you know, as, as much as healthcare would love to become serverless overnight and 
I certainly get jazzed every time I think about the new server, serverless technology that's out there. Fair to say a lot of the healthcare apps are not quite there. Very predictable models, very predictable database structures, not going to be written any, rewritten anytime soon. They need core tenants like backups, patching, encryption, things like that. After all, uh, last week I was literally talking to a provider CIO about his mainframe migration onto AWS. So this is, this is real. Um, so we want to apply that same concept inside of the instance that we talked about previously as with the account itself. So how can we make the instance or what's going on inside of the operating system have a strong audit trail so to make sure at the time of audit or worse, time of security incident, we actually know how to orient if we think back to Udo. How do we actually make sure the environment is highly automated so that we don't have to wait for individuals to act on behalf of the environment and we can make sure that it is safe, secure, audited at all times? And then finally, how do we do all this using externally managed services? Because realistically, healthcare organizations already have their own tools. They like their own tools. They're not going to invest in new tools. Um, so how do you actually utilize some of the APIs and capabilities out there to drive efficiency into the organization? So moving to the next slide, really wanted to speak about the, uh, how, how it actually is done at Clear Data. This is an example of utilizing AWS not just for the compute, the storage, the network, but also some of the services that we mentioned earlier in the presentation. Even though it sounds basic, starting with the foundations around agility, availability, and compliance at the infrastructure layer, allows healthcare organizations to instead focus. Instead of worrying about the data center, focusing on securing your PHI and improving the care to your customers, whether it be a doctor, nurse, patient, another end user. Beyond the infrastructure side here on the left, managed services organizations such as ClearData, and there's lots of great ones out there, utilize Dev DevOps tooling such as Salt or SaltStack to harden the AMI and store it in AWS CloudWatch. Then upon deployment, they use configuration agents to tweak the environment specifically for their healthcare application on top of that hardened image. So whether you need a, a brand new one or simply need to augment and add existing environments or existing instances in the environment, you don't have to redeploy your app from scratch every single time. Since those instances need to be backed up, patched, and really part of the HIPAA best practices, Managed services organizations focus on utilizing, doing all of that through the actual configuration agent when that's plausible so that they can do things like evaluate the current state of patching as well as apply different things like snapshots using AWS EBS so that we make sure that the environment is backed up along the way. This model has availability and individual service monitoring built in to the automated deployment so that at the time of a service issue such as uh, SQL on your EMR stopping or your electronic medical record system stopping, automated alerting, remember SMS, is kicked off to either remediate the issue involving scripts that somebody like a clear data would actually do or drives it to your healthcare DevOps team so that you can actually respond. And all of this is done both in a test and dev environment because we make no assumptions uh, while in healthcare, everyone wants to believe that PHI is inside of the database or inside of the architecture, some of which I showed you up here. The truth is that's not really the way it happens. 
Oftentimes we will find a receptionist that works at a front desk, as an example. Um, I have a sister who does this, um, who does things like drags her PAX image of her patient or her, her critical data onto the desktop to serve the patient faster. So at ClearData, make the assumption, or within your health organization, make the assumption that everything is PHI so that you really put it behind these hardened standards throughout the entire process. Uh, KMS was mentioned earlier. I wanted to speak to KMS for a moment. Key Management Service, or AWS KMS, allows you to control, create your own encryption keys. Oftentimes, it helps overcome concerns that a managed services provider you know, may have access to my data. Well, if they can't access your keys, you can help overcome that concern with many of your security professionals. For tools such up here, such as intrusion detection, log tracking, and even event log management, technology vendors such as AlertLogic, you'll hear about a lot of these vendors here at the show, provide the, the capability and the API to automate the deployment of a lot of these much-needed services on top of AWS to keep that environment protected and safe. All in all, it's roughly 30 services, when I did a count, that are attached to the AWS infrastructure to drive security and compliance for PHI in kind of a DevOps model. It's, uh, it's a beast. It can be tough to prioritize and manage it. So I wanted to actually close by showing you how do we do it. Um, this is a screen capture of a security and compliance dashboard which is how we drive a culture of compliance from a DevOps perspective inside of an instance, or really apply that OODA model, which we'll talk about. The dashboard runs on the core config agent, so salt, and is continuously monitoring the inside of an instance. The dashboard shows trends of the AWS instance against our interpretation of HIPAA. Our company is actually rooted in PHI and, and HIPAA, so even starting from things like security risk assessments for healthcare providers, helping them do things like gain meaningful use and become compliant is really how our company was rooted. So therefore, we take our interpretation of HIPAA as there is no stamp, much what, uh, uh, unless what other people think, there is, there is no stamp for that. We take our interpretation of HIPAA, show that right here on the screen for, so that your chief privacy and security officer can see our interpretation of HIPAA and how your instance is actually matched up against it, utilizing a lot of the AWS services that we talked about today. Then in close to real time, our configuration agent is displaying how the environment is doing. So some of those KPIs up here that you see are things like uh, encryption, backups, patching, log monitoring, utilizing AWS services whenever plausible to actually do that. Reporting changes in the environment, changes it from red to yellow or yellow to green, and vice versa, notifies the healthcare SOC or your DevOps team of changes in the environment so that they can respond and make a decision and act on how to become compliant again. And all, all that using things like AWS config rules and AWS SNS. And can be downloaded for third-party assessments, which are stored in S3 and Glacier so that, so that they can be accessed for the bad day when you have an auditor come on site. So I wanted to make sure I showed you guys each an example of providing that tooling, the OODA method, and utilizing the AWS tooling when possible for healthcare life sciences, prioritize their security work. And with that, we are seven minutes early. So uh, I wanted to thank everyone for your time. 
Uh, we are going to stay up here. If anyone has any questions, would love to meet you. And thanks very much.